When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Christian Blood, KTSA News. And now, let's get things started with the Jack Riccardi Show. Hey, how was your weekend? Too short. Yeah, yeah. Yep. We have a tendency to do that. Um, yep. I'm going to, uh, we're going to talk a little uh, NFL playoff uh, football next hour. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I do want to ask you a question. I just want to make sure I'm, uh, my math is right. Mm-hmm. We are nine days into the new year, right? Right. So we are nine days into the first quarter of the new year. Yes, that's true. Okay. Because we got a memo from the company today naming the employee of the quarter. <laughs> I saw this, yeah. Now, I want to say at the outset, and, and he's not somebody most of you will know, his name is James Pledger. Mm-hmm. We love him. He's a sports producer, mostly works on our uh, sister station, San Antonio Sports Star. But James is a great guy, very deserving, very hardworking. But I had to write to him this morning and go, how how can you be the employee of the quarter? Yeah, he locked it up quick. <laughs> it's like, quick. you know, it's like those teams that clinched the playoff berth. I said, you can't coast now. You've got to keep on producing. <laughs> right. Don't you don't you name the employee of the quarter at the end of the quarter? I was confused too. I was like, well, wait a minute. Are they talking about the the maybe it's the fourth quarter of That's, last year? Yeah, like they're and we're right. Just now That's what I it. thought too. You but it can, says employee of quarter one, twenty twenty three. Can you clinch a playoff spot as we continue the NFL analogies? Can you clinch at the end of September? No. I mean, I'm just thinking, he must have had a heck of a nine days. I mean, <laughs> right. that's incredible. You wonder, like, what did he do? We're all jockeying for nothing at this point. I've, I've been working pretty hard, but I, I apparently I have no... I, I'm not, uh, and again, we're not... We love him. He deserves it. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. time he got recognition. I haven't been employee of the month since November 2000, but I'm not keeping track. Just I re- pointing I, that out. I replied to that email and playfully said... Pledge got it because of the sport coats. Yeah. He's big into yeah. sport coats. He is a very so. sharp-dressed guy. Yeah, they say yeah. dress for the job you want, That's right. not the job you have. So anyway, congratulations, James, and we have questions. KTSA, hope you had a great weekend. The president uh, had a little field trip to El Paso. You know, I figured out um, what they did to make this trip happen. Bear with me, and I'll explain this. In order to show him El Paso, they had to temporarily put in Trump's border policies in El Paso. They arrested illegal immigrants. They took down the encampments. They deported people. Not because they've had a change of heart, but because they wanted to sanitize the photo op that this trip was. I don't mean to sound surprised. None of us are surprised by how this went. I mean... Joe Biden told us months ago that if he was to go to the border, it would be a political stunt. That's was, that was his explanation for not going. It would be a political stunt. And when he went yesterday, it was a political stunt. 
So they cleaned it. It was, it was like those third world countries that get to host the Olympics or the World Cup. They arrest all the homeless people and, and, you know, all of a sudden all the stray dogs disappear overnight. And so they, 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 you know, basically Trumpified El Paso so that he could come in and, and see not chaos and human suffering and failure. Um, but everything looked fine. I mean, they, they, they do a lot of, uh, green screen stuff with Biden at the White House. They might as well just have green screened El Paso in there behind him. But anyway, he went there. He told the, um, Border Patrol that, that he wanted to hear from them what they needed and he would make sure they got it. They've been telling him what they need. They need fencing and barriers. They need more resources. They need more people. They need, they need remain in Mexico. It it reminded me of, they say, I don't know if this is true or not. I watch a lot of Dateline. They say that arsonists often show up at the fires they've set. Like, if you are trying to find an arsonist, you go through photographs. I don't know if this is true, supposedly. You go through photographs of the crowd or the spectators at a fire, and the arsonist, the guy that torched the building, will be in that crowd, they say. Joe Biden yesterday was like the guy that set the fire and then showed up posing with a bucket, only there's no water in the bucket because it's just a photo opportunities just acting out being president and then governor abbott was there and thankfully biden didn't ask him to stand and be acknowledged remember jackie where's jackie is jackie here where's jackie but anyway governor abbott gave um the president a letter in which he told him uh dear president biden your visit is $20 billion too late and two years too late, and then went over a whole list of things that he was supposed to be and should be doing. Um, do you, are you glad that he came to the border? I mean, it just it feels like exactly what he says. It feels like a political stunt. Um, the border is to people what they want it to be. I've, I've come to that realization. When I talk to friends and family up north, they have this idea, they, they have these ideas, that come from the things they read and the social media they consume. And it, it doesn't matter. They don't know anybody like the people that call this show and, and live down there and describe it. And they don't have an agenda. They're just saying, we can't believe what's going on. We've never seen anything like this. None of them are hateful. None of them are bigoted. They're all just blindsided, overwhelmed. The border is what people want it to be. So they made it what Joe Biden wanted it to be. We got the uh, news uh, this afternoon that DeMar Hamlin is out of the hospital, the Buffalo Bills safety. Imagine it hasn't even been a week. It will be a week as of tonight that he hit the uh, turf during Monday Night Football in Cincinnati. And it's an incredible, incredible story. And I, I don't want to take anything away from the trainer who saved his life with CPR in the field or the medical professionals that treated him in Cincinnati. Certainly don't want to take anything away from this young man and his, his spirit. When we started praying for him on Monday night last week, we didn't know what a good guy he was. Most of us didn't know. Turns out he's a terrific person. But we all started praying instinctively, immediately. No one told us to. There wasn't an order given. There wasn't an announcement made. 
the the players on the field, the spectators in the stand at Cincinnati stands in Cincinnati, the members of both teams, people watching at home. Prayer was instinctive and it was immediate. It's very interesting because as I think about it, it's one of those increasingly rare things that we all did but weren't told to do. So much of the political debate and division in this country, if you think about it, it really doesn't come from us. It really is um, orchestrated. It is really called up by pundits and hustlers and race baiters and people who make a lot of money dividing Republicans against Democrats and left against right and red and blue and gay and straight and everything else. But when there was none of that available, because even those people were too stunned, everyone was so stunned last Monday night, if they were even aware it was happening, that we did something that said a lot about us, the kind of people we really are, when we're not being orchestrated and choreographed. And I started thinking about all the stuff we're going through today, I mean, if you think about the world we live in today, inflation that hasn't been seen in over 40 years, war, uh, suffering, the, the, the daily assault of senseless violence, people going after each other randomly or unexpectedly or for race or for sex or for politics. Think about all the things that we live with, the, the, the day-to-day. And um, everyone is telling you what to think about it, what to do about it. But when you didn't have anybody telling you what to do last Monday night, you knew what to do. And we still know what to do. And we ought to try this more often because it worked. It worked for DeMar Hamlin. It also worked for us. So we're going to talk about that a little bit today here as well. 210-599-5555. Something very interesting. Um, I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on the Speaker of the House thing. We just, that was just arduous and tedious last week. But anyway, um, it, it, it was pointed out by somebody uh, over the weekend that one of the things we learned as Nancy Pelosi left the job of Speaker of the House and the control of the House switched over from the Democrats to the Republicans, um, is just how much responsibility Nancy Pelosi, the then Speaker of the House, had for the events of January 6, 2021. Last month, very quietly, the Senate unanimously, both parties, passed a measure to take control of calling out the National Guard for the Capitol from the Speaker's office and moved it over to the Capitol Police. Because we've learned, and we've learned it from the January 6th committee, interestingly enough, although it's not in the majority report, that there were weeks and weeks of meetings and warnings and concern about security 
leading up to January 6, 2021, which is the, the day of certifying the election. And they did not take the warnings seriously. The Pelosi office did not listen to the Capitol Police Chief, did not listen to the House Sergeant-at-Arms. Now, I'm, I'm used to the fact that after a, uh, a fiasco, there is always going to be people that try to make themselves look good. There's always going to be people that are going to try to say, well, I told you so, or I tried to tell you. So that may be some of that going on here. You could call it Monday morning quarterbacking. There may be some of that going on here. I mean, Washington is the city of, you know, knives in the back. But I think it's pretty clear that if you're going to treat January 6th as sort of the Pearl Harbor of the 21st century, you have to lay the blame where the blame lies. If you're going to lay, if you're going to lay it at Donald Trump's feet, dubiously, you also have to lay it at Nancy Pelosi's feet for failing to act, for failing to heed people who are professionals who were trying to tell her. You don't have enough security in place. You need to prepare more. You need to call out more. I don't know how much of that is true, but it sounds like she didn't take it seriously. It also makes you wonder, did she just not believe anything would happen? Because if she couldn't imagine January 6th happening, then why could Donald Trump imagine it happening? I mean, I didn't imagine it happening. You didn't imagine it happening. Or did she imagine it would happen or could happen and and think, well, maybe we should let this play out? I, I don't know. Things always are a little more complicated than they appear to be, right? Or than people want you to think they are. Um, God's using me in a different way. Damar Hamlin tweeted to his teammates yesterday when they got ready to play their final regular season game, which they won. Very emotional. I am, I'm really interested in the fact that when you look back at the last week, you and I and, and a lot of people, behaved in an openly prayerful way that would not have seemed unusual or noteworthy in our parents' or grandparents' time, but is unusual now. It was common, and I don't mean that as a put-down, but it was common for the nation to pray, for its leaders to invoke prayer, in times of war and tragedy and deprivation. But what happened last Monday night was no one was leading, and the prayer came from the grassroots up. It was all we had. I remember the last time There was this much prayer in the NFL, and maybe you remember too. It was a guy named Tim Tebow. Do you remember Tim Tebow? Tim Tebow came out of the University of Florida, and he was a quarterback, and um, won the Heisman, um, went into the NFL, was one of those guys that turned out to be way, way had a way, way greater career in college than he had in the NFL, bounced around the NFL, played for a few different teams, I think maybe had one complete season or close to it, but not not a lot of playing time in the NFL. But Tim Tebow was and is a Christian and prayed, knelt in prayer on the sideline 
and was mocked and ridiculed. And I will say I think a lot of people joined in and had a lot of fun with it. It didn't daunt him. It didn't change him. People that are sincere about prayer, nothing nothing faces them. But I wonder what he thinks about all this. And yesterday, when the NFL was playing its final regular season games, because now it's the playoffs starting next weekend, yesterday, not only... The Bills, not I mean, everywhere there was a game yesterday. The teams were praying together. They were kneeling on the field en masse. Some of the games, the two teams prayed together. They came out together and intermingled and prayed. They were praying for DeMar Hamlin, and I think they were probably praying, if we're going to be honest, for the health and safety of everybody who was playing, that this wouldn't happen to them, this wouldn't happen again. And it's not new. I mean, there's a lot of prayer in locker rooms in all sports. And there's a lot of college programs where prayer is very front and center in the locker room and in the in the coaching staff and in the leadership of the team. But, boy, Tim Tebow is, I think, owed an apology because um, there's a whole lot of people doing what he was doing. I'm glad. I hope it continues. You know, we, we've come to find out that what happened to DeMar Hamlin was really nothing. Like, we, we, last Monday night, we didn't know if maybe he had an undiagnosed condition or whatever. But from what I've heard, everything I've read, this is something. And we had a cardiologist on the following morning on this show. And, and everything we've heard is that this is the kind of thing that can just happen this is life. And so, if you think about it, this tradition should continue. Because literally everyone on every field is a heartbeat away. It's a violent game. It's, um, you never really know. You, you can't play it safe. To play it well, you can't play it safe. And um, I, I don't know if this will continue, and I'm, I'm not naive about these things. I understand people sometimes forget, but I, I just, I'm kind of hopeful and prayerful that this will continue. And that maybe we will also think, those of us that are not athletes and not on a playing field, we will think, you know, that, that came to us, that occurred to us last Monday night without anyone telling us, but it must have been in there somewhere, right? Somewhere you remembered it or you remembered how. It's in there. We can turn to it again. It's available to us again. I want to talk about the president's visit to El Paso. I want to talk about little, a little bit, little bit about the uh, Kevin McCarthy story. After we get off the air Friday, and we kind of saw this coming, they worked out late Friday night into Saturday morning, the uh, holdout Republicans led by Chip Roy, the congressman from San Antonio, worked out a slate of concessions that they say they extracted from McCarthy and felt confident then that they could swing their votes over to him, and he got in by one or two votes, I think. And they are saying today they they will enforce this deal, and if he does not live up to it, 
they will take the gavel, the speaker's gavel, away from him. Do you believe that? Do you, do you believe in the deal? Do you do you believe they made the right uh, decision? Kind of weird that the um, the House Republicans had to negotiate with Kevin McCarthy to do stuff that you would just do if you're a conservative Republican. You know, I mean, they weren't they weren't asking him to leave a suitcase full of cash on a park bench, you know, at midnight. They they were asking him to do things. They were asking him to return the House to rules that existed before Pelosi waived them. They were asking him to do things that Republicans routinely campaign on and fundraise on and that you've given them your vote and maybe even your money on the strength of promising to do things like not increase the debt ceiling. The negotiation with Kevin McCarthy, where they had to persuade, twist his arm to get him to commit to these things, reminds me a lot of when Trump ran for president. You know, he did not come out with some sort of out of left field, no one's ever heard of this idea. Not a single thing he ran on was an original idea. It was all stuff he had heard Republicans say they were going to do for years, but never did. They were always going to get to it. It was always the next thing on the list. It was always in the after the next election. If you give us a bigger majority, if you give us the majority, if we can have the White House and the Congress, they told you this and you wanted to believe it, and so you did. And then a guy comes along and says, I've got all the receipts. These are all things you've said you would do. I'm going to make you do them. He had a lot of other qualities that you can like or dislike, but that was the crux of Trump's ascent to power. He called out people and held them to things they'd said they would do, but didn't do, wouldn't do. Like getting a conservative majority on the Supreme Court. Well, it's easy to talk about. It's hard to do. But they were afraid not to do it while he was president. So, in a way, you could say that Kevin McCarthy, who is very much from that elite, upper crust of the pre-Trump Republican Party. I mean, he's a he's a swamp creature. You, you might say, in a way, this little one-week uprising, or whatever you want to call it, this was like the Trump phenomenon for the House of Representatives. We're going to make you do the things you've always said you would do. Now, can they make him do it? Were they, were they right to say, all right, let's, let's make him say the words, let's Get the receipts. They've got the receipts. I'm sure they've got they've got documents and, and recordings, right? We've got him saying, I'll do X, Y, and Z. I'm all about it. We'll make him speaker. Was that the right thing to do? Well, they didn't have another candidate they could get behind. Um, they weren't going to change 200 other minds. So did they end this thing last weekend, or over the weekend, the way you think they should have? What do you think? 210-599-5555. I hope, I hope the Chip Roys of the world know that they are holding out for things that, that, that matter, and we are watching. And it, the Republicans are down to their, you know, if a cat has nine lives, they're on their ninth life life 
you know that that we are done with giving them the benefit of the doubt we are done with giving them credit for trying oh well they tried by the way it's interesting to me that the media was in such an uproar last week I don't know how many times I heard somebody say, this is so embarrassing that we don't have a Speaker of the House. It's taken two days. It's taking three days, four days, and we don't have a... Aren't these the same clowns that after every election now tell us it's normal for the vote counting to take weeks? (laughs) It's We shouldn't expect... Well, you can't expect to know who won the election on election night. Where'd you get that idea? Oh, from the first 250 years of our history, maybe? Oh, elections take days or weeks. You're going to have to prepare yourself. So why isn't that humiliating and embarrassing? Oh, the world is watching. Oh, my gosh. But let the House of Representatives take basically an extra four or five days. That's all it really was. Oh, this is awful. Well, that's it. That's it. We're 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 done. We're toast. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Oh, it's just awful. But they're uh, you know <laughs> they're still counting votes in places like Arizona weeks after the election. Oh no, that's normal. Oh, don't you know that's just how it is? Get with the times. I know what you're going to say. Well, it's a lot more votes. Yeah, but it's, it, it, it's also, it's an election with machinery and technology, and there's a, there's a whole infrastructure in place. Yes, I realize this was 430-something votes, but, I mean, it, if, if delays are embarrassing and humiliating and the world is watching, then why, why aren't they when we have an election? Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. There was an interesting. Um, we talked about this a little bit on Friday. There was a piece that ran in the Wall Street Journal last week by a psychologist about Generation Z. Generation Z is basically teens and uh, early twenties. People that are like you know, I would say probably fifteen to. 23 or something like that. And he was saying um, he cannot get over, his name is Jonathan Haidt, he cannot get over how fragile this generation is. And he says even allowing for age, even allowing for the fact that, okay, these are very young people, they haven't seen much of the world, there's an incredible fragility, and we're going to have a problem with that. We can talk about that a little bit, too. Uh, 210-599-5555. What made me think of it, we, t- we talked about it last week, but what made me uh, think of it was uh, there's a thing circulating on Reddit. It's a sign that a guy put up at his business. Um, it's a now hiring sign. But he wrote this whole description of who should not apply uh, for the job. So he runs a butcher shop. And um, I think it's in New York, or New Hampshire, excuse me. And um, it says, please do not apply, meaning for his job opening. If you oversleep, don't have an alarm clock, don't have a car, have to go to court, 
don't have a babysitter every day, have to give friends rides to work, experience flat tires every week, have to hold on to your cell phone all day, or become an expert on your job with no need to learn or take advice, must be able to remember to come back to work after lunch. Do not expect to receive gold star for showing up to work on time. This guy says, I'm, I've, these are all the excuses I've heard. I don't want to hear them again. And it made me think of this fragile Generation Z thing. So we'll talk about that. Low all of this at 210-599-5555 on KTSA. Uh, Mark's calling in with the, uh, the McCarthy deal. Uh, Mark, good afternoon. Welcome to KTSA. Hey, uh, thanks. Enjoy your show. Um, I think it was absolutely critical and huge that these people held out, stuck to their convictions, their Mm -hmm. values, their beliefs. They actually represented the people who sent them there. Mm -hmm. That's a novel concept. Mm -hmm. Um, All too often we see these people, not just in Washington, but right here in Austin. As soon as they're elected, they go up there and, and they don't, they forget about us completely. You know, they think they're above and beyond and they don't work for us anymore. And uh, this has to stop. I mean, they're destroying our country. <clears throat> we don't have anybody fighting for us anymore. This is this is the party we think is fighting for for our values, and and they sell out. Um, I, I give you a real good example. Tony Gonzalez already sold us out. Already sold us out. He, he will not vote on this package. He, he refuses to, and um, he gets controlling spending and, and you know, managing our money properly. He, he already has sided with the Democrats. It, these are people we can't trust, and, and we have to do whatever we can to make sure that they're not there because they're not there representing us. And and there are tools. There are censure tools. There are, you know, you could have another election or recall them. You know, that's a little bit more difficult. But Well, with the House, it's every two years. I mean, you, you've always got a chance coming up to, to revisit, and I agree with you. They do, do need to represent us. I, I notice the way they sound, often they start to sound like they think their job is to make the thing work, like they're employees of the Washington, D.C. company. You know, they, they stay there. They're, we've got to make this work. It's embarrassing. You know, as you point out, they actually work for us, not for Washington, D.C. They should look at it the way we look at it. They're supposed to be, like, just there temporarily. But you're right. No sooner do most of them get there than they become part of it, and they join very enthusiastically. Let me ask you this, Mark. How can we tell? Because they all sound right the first time they run. They all sound like you're describing the first time they run. You all watch their vote. Uh, and I I do watch it very closely. And no, but I mean, before they how how do you how do you discern if everyone's telling you he's a conservative, if everyone's telling you he's for small government, if everyone's telling you uh, I work for you, and then they get how are we supposed to know in advance? I, I don't know how to do it. Well, I saw this in the CD twenty three race, and there were people who were swearing and talking about what a great conservatives they were. But you start doing the background work on it, you find out they contributed to Democratic candidates. And recently, there was we had a couple of them. And yeah, and, I don't um, even know if that is a, isn't necessarily an indicator. I mean, I I think what you said is probably the closest thing to the truth. We we simply have to watch. Once they get there, we have to look at their initial votes and behaviors, and then at the very first opportunity. Uh, turn them out. And maybe the healthiest thing is to have a new congressman every two or four years instead of thinking seniority is so great. Mark, thank you. So we're talking a little bit about prayer today. 
because it's made a surprise return in public life. Very interesting. It didn't take a leader, you know, it didn't take a, a political leader or a preacher. You know, I, I, I read a book recently or a biography, I should say, recently about Billy Graham and Billy Graham was sort of the last great revivalist, not the last we'll ever have, but the, the most recent sort of revivalist preacher. And, and so Billy Graham led a lot of people to prayer. But last Monday night, no one was leading us. We were leading ourselves. I find that fascinating and I find it inspiring. We're talking about the uh, negotiations that wrapped up over the weekend and made Kevin McCarthy the Speaker of the House with the provisos that he would do the things that the House Republicans are going to hold his feet to the fire for. It is sort of sad that you'd have to twist his arm to do stuff that Republicans routinely tell us they're for. Let's see how you feel about that. And then a butcher shop puts an ad or a uh, hiring sign in the window. And it uh, lists all the excuses they will not accept. Do not apply for the job, it says, if you have no alarm clock, have no car, have to go to court often, have no babysitter every day, have to give friends rides to work, have flat tires every week, have to hold on to your cell phone every day, and it goes on and on like that. And people started responding to this with excuses they've heard from their employees. Guy said, we had a girl who told us in the dead of summer that she hit a patch of ice and hit a telephone pole. Another one said, I was told that her cat had just had puppies. (laughs) If that happens, I think you should stay home. I had someone call in and say her appendix had almost burst, and she needed surgery, one user shared. We were all worried, so we called her dad to ask what hospital she was at so we could send flowers We almost gave the poor man a heart attack because guess what? She was just hung over and didn't feel like working. Um, Somebody used malaria to call in a sick day. Sounds kind of random, right? Um, An employee uh, used as an excuse that he was uh, still celebrating the Stanley Cup win of the Chicago Blackhawks the next day, couldn't show up to work. That was in 2013. Um, so is this the kind of fragility that uh, this NYU psychologist was writing about last week? He says that uh, there is a profound mental health crisis. When you look at Americans born after 1995, they have high rates of anxiety, depression, self-harm, suicide, fragility. So Jonathan Haidt in the Wall Street Journal He said it's a combination of the culture, their upbringing, their education, and social media. And that overly restrictive parenting has many Gen Zers unable to cope effectively with the normal stresses and challenges of adulthood, which I guess could include just like coming to work. Now, I mean, you might not like Mondays or you might not like, you might not like getting up early, but, but you're able to do it. It's like these people can't do it. And I know it's not the whole generation, and I'm not saying that. He's not saying that. He's just saying he sees a lot of it. And he's worried because this is, you know, the, this is the backbone of the country. These are the people that, that we need. We can't do without them. And, and when the chips are down, like if we have a war, this is it. 
Gen Z is it. And imagine, you know, like we we're mobilizing a call to arms, everyone on deck. Oh, my cat had puppies. We're in trouble. How about them cowboys? <laughs> right. Yeah. Weren't we talking last week about whether or not they should rest the starters? I guess we weren't yeah. clear. What we meant was rest them on the bench, mm-hmm. not rest them on the field. Yeah, yeah. Because they, that um... wasn't just the Washington Commanders, Christian. Mm-mm. That was Sam Howell leading the Washington Commanders. That was, they didn't even lose to Taylor Heineke well, that's, or Carson Wentz. Yeah, but Jack, it, I mean, just to keep it all into perspective, you've got to completely... Oh, don't go being reasonable now. Yeah, it is what it is. Is you've got a completely overhauled secondary full of guys who have been with the team for uh, days to weeks. I think uh, Trevon Diggs is the only guy standing as far as corners. And well, then Jack Prescott been with the team though. Uh, yeah, well, look at the offensive hmm. line. This is this is a, this is a big deal. I mean, they've got. I'm a expecting lot. more from Dak Prescott than what we saw yesterday. Well, if you're going to be pressured at the rate that he was, and I'm not taking him off the hook, the 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 pick six that that sequence, because if you were watching the game, you saw the play before that. Did you see that or no? No. no. Okay, so he goes. He fires to the outside, and the ball is picked and dropped by the defender. I mean, it's a clear interception, but it was dropped. On the next play, he did the same thing, yeah. although it was Noah Brown. That one mm-hmm. was picked and taken mm-hmm. to the house. Almost the same play, mm-hmm. Jack. So, yeah, Dak, I don't think Sam Howell did that, though, did he? Uh, yeah, well, you know, if, if, you stra- if you strand your defense for that long, they're eventually going to start breaking. I think the Cowboys, I, I had the figures up here in front of me. They had, I think going into the fourth quarter, like seven three-and-out drives. Mm. Seven. So when you can't run and you can hardly throw, mm. it's easy to look at the quarterback, the skill, but you look at the I'm not putting it line. all on him. I'm just saying I, I, it, was a, it was a big failure across the board. But, it was but, a mess. I, yeah, I mean, it, 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 may be, it may be the worst game I've seen him have. Uh, since he since he joined the Cowboys, but here's my question to you: um, We got the playoff picture all set up now. Mm-hmm. We know who's playing who. Who are the two teams in the Super Bowl? San Francisco and Buffalo. Hmm. Okay. San I'm going with uh, San, Francisco. San Francisco and the Chiefs. That could be it too. But I think the yeah. Buffalo like said the Chiefs well. number. Yeah. yeah, I think yeah. San yeah. Francisco. Those two are those two are clearly the tops in the AFC. I, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't really I don't think I really see anybody. Maybe Cincinnati, but I don't think I see anybody other than Buffalo or Kansas City. And and yeah, I've come around kind of late to the Forty ers I, I I don't know. I I <sighs> wouldn't have said this halfway through the year, but right now, if they don't get there, it's going to be it'll be because of the obvious quarterback situation because they do have mm-hmm. a rookie. And you mm-hmm. don't you don't get do overs in the playoffs, mm-hmm. so that could stymie things. But but they're healthy. Their defense is fantastic. They can run the ball. They're going to be a tough out. Yeah. All right. And of course tonight, uh, not to overlook this college football championship game, TCU and Georgia. And and I mean it's it's an incredible feat for TCU to be there. Yeah. I noticed that no one is picking them. Yeah. But I don't think and and I get why. And I'm not trying to deny reality here. I mean it. it by all rights, it should be Georgia, but well, you know, just it, 
You know, don't go to sleep on TCU, right? No, because, and I followed, I grew up seven miles, six miles west of TCU in Fort Worth, and and they were nothing in the 80s and 90s as I was growing up, so it's a Mm -hmm. really kind of a sentimental thing. I think it's it's mind-blowing that they're there, Yeah. Um, but every time I've seen them play this year, I've watched all the highlight packages, I've watched, I think, two games, and every time the game's over, you find yourself asking yourself, why not the Horned Frogs? Right, right. And that's yeah, becoming they, hard they find to do. A way. Now George yeah, is going to be really tough. Find a way. <laughs> George yeah, is George, going to be. I tough. mean, obviously that's the that's the toughest game they've that they've that they're going to have ever played. Yeah. But then again, uh, the last game was the toughest game they ever played that's true. too. So this is true. We'll see. Should yep. be a good uh, should be a good game. All right. Thank you, Christian. Appreciate that. Um, yeah. This uh, professor at NYU. He's a psychologist. Says uh, in a Wall Street Journal article that Generation Z is set up to fail. Because of bad parenting, political ideology that emphasizes victimhood, and a reliance on social media. When you look at Americans born after 1995, you find that they have extraordinarily high rates of anxiety, depression, self-harm, suicide, and fragility. Now, these are people in their teens and early 20s. And sure, that's a tender age, but that's also the age that the greatest generation was when they went and saved the world, right? So, I mean... You hope you don't ever have that, but you also know that when that history tells us when the chips are down, any civilization, any society, this age group is the age group you're going to lean on. You're going to call them up, literally or figuratively. And he says he's worried. He called it a national crisis that university students and that age group are in the safest, most welcoming, most inclusive, most most anti-racist society ever, but most of them act like they are living in a dystopian, threatening, immoral world. 210-599-5555. Robert is on KTSA. Robert, good afternoon. How are you? Hey, Robert. Hello? I'm right here, Robert. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. How are you, Jack? I'm good, Robert. What's up? Oh, man, driving down the road, looking for a little bit of money to make. And uh, I got real interested in your topic with Mr. McCarthy. And then uh, another good subject with these uh, young folks. So let me make a quick comment, and then we'll get into this. Yeah, please do. My issue with McCarthy is he's so feminine, it's it's just I can't take it. I'm sorry, he's what? He's He's so so feminine. Feminine. Feminine? How do you figure that? Yeah. What do you mean by feminine? He doesn't have any masculinity. He's not attractive to anybody. Oh. A man without masculinity <laughs> can't draw, can't draw support, so he has to hustle it. <laughs> and I'm not I'm not down on the man. He just needs to grow up. Man, I thought I was hard on him. I, uh, this I've never I've not heard this before. Um, He's and, and, I, and feminine, I'm not huh? um, I don't. Yeah. I don't know. I don't really know how to. I don't know what that even. I don't know what to what to make of that. I mean, couldn't you be a strong? You could be a strong woman, right? I mean, there's well, there, there've been I strong mean, women leaders, right? No, we're talking. I, about I don't think he's. I don't think. Ma- I got to be honest, Robert. I no offense to you, buddy, but I don't think masculinity is his problem. I think. I think not having a backbone, not having a moral compass. Not standing for anything. I think for too many years he's been allowed to describe himself as a conservative, but no one's ever made him explain what that actually means, which a lot of them do. Um, I think that might be a bigger problem than whether he's girly. 
I'll tell you precisely why I'm right. Everything you just talked about is what makes you masculine. No. Values. No. No. No? No. How not? Well, how do you explain Margaret Thatcher then? Uh, Maggie was a very brilliant leader in a different country with a completely different set of political objectives. I think yeah. she did a great I, I job. I mean, we could name—I could name strong conservative women. You're not—you're not answering the question. I—I I, I don't think it's required of you that you be a male to be a conservative. Is that what you're saying? That only men can be conservatives? No, no. I'm saying he, he has no masculinity because he does—he doesn't operate on a, a precise set of values that make him attractive. Okay, but those aren't. That is not an exclusively masculine quality. Having principles is not exclusive to men. Right, but but Robert, you're not going to win this argument with me. You may. This may be how you feel, and I respect it. But you're not. You're not going to win that argument with me. I mean, I mean, I, I I don't like him. I don't trust him. I don't trust him as far as I could throw him. I could make a lot of aspersions on him, but his. I don't. I don't even know where to go with this. I mean, it's not. That's not it. Well, I don't. I think how do you know? Have, how would you even know if he's masculine? I mean, you, do you know him? No, I, 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 I'm trying to work out something here. When they have just struggling with a term, okay, like a word. Every man that I know that I would support and and go out help and and endorse and get to the highest place he could get has does not have to go and 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 twist arms and, and do side deals and have all this stuff going on in his life. Maybe what you're saying, maybe, maybe what you're saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, is he's not your kind of guy. I don't, well, I don't have a kind of guy. I know I know. I might sound a little bit I didn't mean like to date him. I meant he's not cut from the kind <laughs> <I know>. of, <laughs> he's not cut from the kind of cloth that you would like a, a, a leader to be cut from. And I, and I, and I, I agree with you, Robert. I, I appreciate your call, sir. Thank you. I, I do not want to even go mentally where I went with that call because when he said that Kevin McCarthy is feminine, all I could think of was, well, did you take his pants off? I mean, were you looking at his? That's what, because I don't know what that, I don't know what that means otherwise. I hope that it is possible. For women to be conservative, I think it is. I, I, I have to admit, there are not a lot of strong conservative women in public life, political life at the moment. There are a few. But I think there are a lot of them just in general, not necessarily famous or holding political office. I, I don't think, I don't think the things we're looking for in a leader, um, if they're missing in Kevin McCarthy, that somehow feminizes him or makes him <laughs> effeminate. I don't, I don't, I don't know, and I, I went I went right to Margaret Thatcher, Don, which I realize is <laughs> I'm dating myself, but you know I'm assuming Robert wanted a more masculine uh, type uh, person to to be in the speakership, but but that would see what when he mentioned that I, I I could all I could think of was John Biner. Oh, the you mean uh, John Boehner? The guy uh, John Boehner. I'm sorry. Yes, yeah. uh, no. the crier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I you know. <laughs> Clearly, for a lot of reasons, we're not satisfied with Kevin McCarthy. I, I'm not one to defend him, certainly, and I'm not defending him. But I, I think I think we. I, I guess what I'm saying is, um, I think you can be cut from the right cloth. I think you can have the right values. I think you can have a moral compass and be a man uh, or a woman. Uh, Two ten five. <laughs> certainly not the direction I thought we were going with this, but I often don't know. 
210-599-5555. Speaking of this, speaking of, of men and women, and I, we never talk, we never talk about this on this show, and now here I am talking about it. Because they're all over the media right now. Meghan Markle and Prince Harry, or whatever we call him now, Duke Harry, or whatever he is. Um, I, I, I'm not interested... Don't worry, I'm not going there. I'm not reading the book. I could care less. I'm not having anybody on to be a royal watcher. But what kind of a woman marries a man who is part of this family and this heritage and um, has duties that are, you know, that come with that? I mean, he, was, he, was, he was born into the family business, if you will, right? Kind of a woman marries a guy like this and then pulls him away from it and mocks and ridicules that. Is that what happened here? Or maybe it's the other way around. What kind of man allows this to happen to him or participates in this? I mean, I don't hear anybody saying it, but... This just looks to me like just your garden variety, toxic marriage. And you don't have to be royal or famous or rich. We all know people like this. We all know people, and and, and not most of the people we know. Most of the people we know are together, and it's obvious why they're together, and we're happy that they're together. But we all know, I think, if, and you don't have to name any names. I'm not asking for that. I'm just, just not if you agree. We all know at least one couple that are just poison. Either one is the instigator, or they take turns being the instigators, or they thrive on drama. But I think I think you're doomed, whether you're famous or rich or not. I think you're doomed if you um, get married and your spouse starts pulling you or chipping away at who you were and what you're about. And this is what he was about. This is what he was born to do. I don't know anything about anything with this guy. but And, and just because he was born into this family doesn't make him a, a, a regal great leader. But, I mean, you, had the, you, had the, you knew what you had to do. And she knew what he had to do. Why are we, why are we spending time on this? This is just a, a garden variety toxic marriage. Sorry for the two people involved. Very unfortunate. I never, I never root for anybody's misfortune or unhappiness. If you've ever been in an unhappy marriage, you of course would not. You wouldn't wish it on your worst enemy. But I think they're just very, very toxic. And, um, you know, if you believe, uh, him, his family lied about her and was mean or whatever, unfair to her. And again, I look at her and I think, you you knew what you were getting into. 
I guess I just don't, and maybe this makes me judgy or whatever, but I, I, I just, I, that's, that's as far as I can go with it. I'm not interested in there. They, they keep, they keep talking in all these interviews. I see little clips of these interviews. I've never watched a complete interview, but in the clips, it's always about how they want their privacy and they want their dignity and they want, well, then just go get it. Just go. I mean, I'm an introvert. The best way to have privacy is to not talk to people, <laughs> to not write a book to not do a television series, to not do interviews. You'll have all the privacy you want. And when you have money like they do, you can make the walls higher and the fences higher and you can be away from the matting crowd. So I, I don't, I really don't understand, and I'm not asking you to explain it, I really don't understand the fascination with them. Because if you'd never seen anything or heard of anything like this before, maybe it would be sort of like, you know, a train wreck or something. But, in fact, you do know people like this. They're just not famous or rich. But you absolutely know, at least, everybody knows at least one couple like this. And that's, to me, that's really all this is. 210-599-5555. But there are people that are fascinated with it. And I've had people say to me, you really need to... You really need to talk about this. You're, you're, you're missing an opportunity. And I said, I really have nothing to say that you've just heard everything I have. Um, and I'm not here to give marriage advice. I'm the last person that should do that. But, um, I think if two people get together and one of them has this sort of path, either by birth, or it's the family business, or it's some other birthright, you know, set of expectations that that governs and puts you on a path, and this is what you're meant for, and this is what you're going to do. You two have a choice. Either you you buy in, or you make a total break. And it seems like they're not doing either one of those. I don't think you have any other way. So, and that's it. <laughs> I'm, I'm out. Seacrest out. President was in El Paso yesterday. Um, they basically reenacted uh, for one day and in one city uh, Trump's immigration policies. They deported people. They closed down the encampments. Um, so they, they like, uh, created a bubble of everything's great. It's working great. So that he would have a backdrop uh, in which to say that. Uh, the president has also in recent days, uh, announced, uh, some new approaches, which he says he thinks will help. Remember, just a few months ago, they were saying a trip to the border would be a political stunt. Uh, he was saying uh, there really isn't a crisis. His spokesman was saying that. In fact, even yesterday, um, you know, the, the, the message is still, hey, if, if things are not good on the border, it's because Republicans don't take the border seriously, and we, the Biden administration, does. So let's dig into that a little bit with our next guest on the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line. Ira Melman is Media Director at FAIR, Federation for American Immigration Reform. Uh, and Ira, welcome back, and, and, and good afternoon. And, and is there anything actually new or substantive to what the president is saying he's going to do about the border? 
No, no, I think you summed it up accurately. They created a Potemkin village there for him. Uh, You know, I don't think anybody is buying that act. Uh, You know, Governor Abbott certainly wasn't when he presented the president with a letter on the tarmac in San Antonio. Uh, But it's going to be business as usual. The president had a photo op. Uh, but there's no indication that he is going to change the policies that created this crisis down there at the border. And in fact, as you mentioned in the opening, uh, you know, they're resorting to all sorts of tricks to try to make it appear uh, that the border is better uh, than it really is. Uh, the president last week put out a series of memos uh, saying that we were now going to allow 30,000 people from, I, I think it was Haiti, uh, Cuba, Venezuela and Nicaragua to enter the United States under uh, his uh, assumed power of parole, that he could just simply parole anybody who wants to come into the country. Uh, So rather than having the people coming across the border illegally, we're going to transport them here. But there's no absolutely no seriousness on the part of this administration when it comes to getting that border under control. So. Um, you follow this stuff pretty closely. Why are they even saying these things or making these motions now? What's what's behind this? Uh, look, I mean, the president's been getting a lot of grief about the fact that he has not been to the border. Uh, as you pointed out last month, he said it wasn't even worth his time. That it was simply a political stunt. Uh, but look, I mean, the 2024 election cycle is starting up. It seems that the president is going to be running uh, for re-election in 2024. Uh, and, it, you know, this is a, a weak spot for him. The situation at the border does not have support from anybody except the extreme left wing uh, of his own party. And, you know, he's got to be able to show that he's at least paying attention to it, uh, even if it's not serious attention. Yeah. And... Um... What I guess I keep wondering about, maybe I'm being naive about this, but I, I look at polls that indicate um, even when you ask uh, the kinds of voters that we used to think Democrats were pandering to, all right, their base, even they are irate and, and worried uh, about border insecurity. So you kind of touched on it. To whom does his approach um, appeal? I mean, what, who is he befriending or, or solidifying the support of if even Hispanic voters, first generation voters, et cetera, et cetera, are like, we don't, we're not good with this? Well, you know, in order to win in 2020, he had to turn out the extreme left-wing fringe of his party. They were not thrilled about having him as the Democratic nominee, uh, but he really needed them. And it seems that one of the uh, concessions that he made to get these folks out to the polls uh, three years ago was that he was going to uh, let them control the immigration policies. And clearly he's put people like Alejandro Mayorkas in charge uh, of running that. Uh, and he's going to need them again in 2024. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he's sort of counting on the fact that other Democratic voters will look at other issues, uh, but he needs this one to get the the far left out there to put him over the top if he's going to uh, make it uh, again in 2024. So uh, it, it's a political calculation. Uh, you know, the president is stupid. He understands what's going on. He understands the human toll that's being taken down there. Uh, just it, it is a disgrace at every level. Uh, it, it, the migrants are being abused. Communities along the border are being abused. All across the country, uh, impositions are being made on taxpayers. Uh, and yet he is prepared to do this for political gain. Mm. 
Interesting. Ira Melman with FAIR Federation for American Immigration Reform. Ira, good to have you. Thanks for coming on today. Pleasure. Thank you. 541 on 550 and 1071 KTSA. We're asking you today on the JR poll, are you glad that the president visited the border, so to speak, kind of? Um, Does it matter to you? I mean, we certainly made a lot of the fact that he had never been there. Um, and now he can say, well, yeah, I did. I went in, uh, I went in tw- back in 2023, you know. Okay. Does it change anything? Um, I guess the governor gave him a, uh, a letter that I've read that's pretty strong. But again, you know, you're, you might as well, you might as well, <laughs> it's like talking to a wall. I mean, you gave him the letter. What do you think happened to the letter, you know? But, but to his, in his defense, the governor succinctly pointed out, all you have to do is enforce the law. And I think Ira's on to something when he talks about appeasing the far left, because, you know, politicians are good at, um, wh- whenever it suits their purposes, politicians are good at saying something along the lines of, you know, my hands are tied. I can remember hearing Barack Obama say this many times. I can remember hearing Bill Clinton say this many times. When they were being called to do something that would have been politically iffy or politically suicidal for them to do, they would remind their base, hey, we got a law, we got a constitution, we got checks and balances, we got separation of powers. I can't do it. I'm not, I can't just do that. Remember Obama said that about DACA. So when they want to, they can say, hey, uh, these are our laws. I'm just the guy that has to enforce them. You don't like him. You want to go to Congress. They make the laws. So I do think Ira Melman is right. This is a, a balancing act where President Joe Biden or the people operating his machinery are on the one hand trying to continue to placate the, you know, the AOC crowd. But then at the same time, I think this is the beginning. You're going to see a pivot to the center, quote-unquote, on a lot of things. Over the next several months, if he is running, and frankly, even if he isn't, they're going to pivot to the center on police. They're going to pivot to the center on spending. They're going to pivot to the center uh, probably at some point again on um, energy. You know, they've pretty much exhausted the strategic petroleum reserve. But um, you will see now, between now and, and next you know, the fall of 2024, you will now see an attempt to walk this tightrope that he's walking on immigration and the border, probably on a lot of other things. We really didn't get a chance to talk about this because I was off the week after uh, Christmas, but uh, there were one of the big stories uh, around the holidays was the thousands and thousands of uh, canceled flights, including many from Southwest. Uh, There were to be honest, trouble with a lot of the airlines, but Southwest got the worst of it or had the worst headlines at least. Um, and so they have been in the news in recent days for announcing various compensation packages and things that they're going to do for people that were disrupted um, over the holidays. Here's my question, because I don't fly that much, and to be honest, I'm not particularly loyal to an airline. Like, at one time, way back when I was first flying, you know, say 30, 35 years ago, 
people had like, oh, I always fly U.S. Air, or I always fly American, I always fly Continental, I always fly United. I don't know if there's that much brand loyalty anymore with most of them because now when we go to book a, a plane ticket, we're not calling the travel agent or the airline. We're going to websites that aggregate all the rates and we're just buying price, right? Most of us are doing that. And, and so you fly with whoever has the best, you know, fare to your destination. But Southwest does seem to still have, if I may be wrong about this, it seems like there's more like brand affinity for Southwest and people that love Southwest for years have been telling me, oh, no, they're different. They really are different. They're not like the others. You you would love Southwest. And I've flown Southwest a couple of times, but there are people that really swear by them. And, and my question is, are you still feeling that way? Or have they become like all the rest? Are they really different at this point? Do they still seem to you like, well, there's Southwest and there's all the other guys? I, I'm, I'm curious. I'm not trying to change your mind about it. I'm just curious because it, it, to me, it looks like they've kind of settled into the same rut. Um, and, and I don't, I'm not an expert on the airline business just from what I see, the way I experience it. Like a lot of businesses, uh, the bean counters are in charge and they are sacrificing goodwill and image and uh, affection and affinity and loyalty to make an extra buck or two. Um, clearly, flying commercially is not what it was 30 years ago. And that's not all because of 9-11, although they, they used that, they milked that sucker for a long time, but I don't think that's the whole explanation, right? So clearly flying isn't what it used to be for anybody. When you think about meals and the conditions on the plane and the size of the seats and everything else, but... Um, is Southwest still different or, like, less awful? Or are they like the others? So, um, there was a song in 1988 uh, by Bobby McFerrin. Uh, it, it went to number one. Uh, I remember playing it on music radio. It was very, very, very popular. It was very unique. It was a song called Don't Worry, Be Happy. And it was bouncy and catchy, and it was, it was totally a cappella. You always had to make the point when you played it. Now, everything you hear is Bobby McFerrin. And I think it won the Grammy or some Grammys the year it came out. Here it is. Be happy. Don't worry, be happy. This song was number one. On my 23rd birthday in 1988. And there's a meme going around today that says, if you want to know what kind of a year you're going to have in 2023, look up the song that was number one on your 23rd birthday. Now, I guess if you haven't turned 23 yet, you're out of luck. But if, assuming you're past 23, whatever song was... Number one, and you can go to, there's all kinds of websites that have this. I went to a, a website called mybirthdayfacts.com. If you want to look at a particular, you know, like the day you were born or the year you were born. But in this case, you want to look at the number one song on your 23rd birthday. So take your birthday, add 23 years. What was the number one song on your birthday? 
And that will tell you the kind of year you're going to have. So imagine my relief when I found out that my song is Don't Worry, Be Happy. I mean, honestly, Don Cooper, what could be a better omen for 2023 than Bobby McFerrin? Right? Absolutely. I mean, come on. You know, I mean, there's no more carefree song out there than that. Don't Worry, Be Happy? Be Happy. I mean, you could you could be in a lot worse shape, you know. You could be in a lot worse shape uh, than to have that song. I mean, for example, uh, so that was 1988. Uh, the number one song on my birthday in 1986, when I was 21, was "Stuck with You" by Huey Lewis and the News. See, that's not that doesn't sound promising. <laughs> Or 1984, the number one song was Missing You by John Waite. That's, that's sad. You could, you could, my, uh, my year is going to be Don't Worry, Be Happy. I guess you could have had the song, uh, Kiss Me by Sixpence and None the the, uh, Richer. (sighs) Oh man, did I hate, I hated that song. I know you did. Oh, Lord. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, so I, I went back and looked at all my birthday songs. I had, you know, it, it, it's uh, September 19th, by the way. Um, well, the year I was born, the number one song the day I was born was Eve of Destruction by Barry Maguire. It's kind of dark. But I've got some good ones here. Cherished by the Association. Um, Ain't No Mountain High Enough by Diana Ross. Let's Get It On by Marvin Gaye. I was only... I was only eight, so can't really say much about that. Fame by David Bowie. Play That Funky Music by Wild Cherry. My Sharona by The Knack. Money for Nothing by Dire Straits in 1985 when I was 20. Yeah, so um, let's look at your 23rd birthday, number one song, and see if you agree that this defines, this predicts, this sets the the tone for the kind of year you're going to have. Uh, I don't want to pry, but would you like to give me the date on which you turned 23? Uh, Turned 23? September 29th of 1994. September 29th, 1994. They say that the song that was number one on your 23rd birthday determines the kind of year you will have in 2023. Mm-hmm. Your song is Boys to Men, I'll Make Love to You. That sounds about right. Mm, okay, I don't want to know any more about it. <laughs> that seems very private. That seems like we shouldn't know that. You said you weren't going to pry. <laughs> yeah, well, I wasn't expecting it to be so. See, mine was Don't Worry, Be Happy. That's <laughs> How are you feeling about this? Did you like this song? The only thing good about this song is that I distinctly recall it about this time. Emmett Smith was getting past a holdout with the Cowboys, mm. and they were mm. about to rebound from that 0-2 start mm. and roll, which they did. So, so, Of course that's what one would think of when one heard <laughs> Boys to Men, if I'll make love right. to you. Obviously, um, yeah, that, that's Jack, that I'm reaching obvious. straws here. 
Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thank you, Christian. Um, our news director, Dennis Foley, uh, his number one song on his 23rd birthday was uh, Pharrell. Happy. He's going to have a good year. He and I have very upbeat, positive songs. We're in good shape. All right. So all I need is the date on which you turned 23. Not your birthday year, but your birthday plus 23. So the date and that year. And we'll see if that song determines the kind of year you're going to have, ostensibly because it's 2023, so your 23rd birthday, if this works, 210-599-5555. Our very good friend, uh, and uh, really um, not just a good friend, but probably the, the most famous singer I personally know, Ken Slavin. Ken, good evening. Hi, Jack. This is a, this is very nice to hear from you. Um, how, how have you been? Sure. I've been fine, thank you. Happy New Year. I'm I'm driving home from the office, and I heard what you were talking about. I thought, wouldn't it be a hoot to find out um, how that might apply? I've, I've got it for you. Are you ready? Yeah. It's Tina Turner. What's love got to do with it? Oh my God. So, Ken, I think um, you need to just let it fly this year. What's love got to do with it, Ken? It's just a secondhand emotion. Exactly. <laughs> and who needs that? Yeah, listen, yeah, who needs Ken Slavin that? doesn't do anything secondhand. Ken Slavin is buy it new and buy it at full price. <laughs> You know, Second hand. Who needs love when you can have good food and a martini? <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right. So, Ken, we've got your whole year set up for you. And, I mean, Tina Turner, uh, not too shabby, right? No, not too bad. And I'm going to have to go back. And I remember that song very, very well. And it's really about, um, it's very cynical. And I don't want to be cynical. but Oh, no, no. You and I are not cynical at all. No, that that's... Not at all. It's always the bright side, Jack. Oh, hey, mine was "Don't Worry, Be Happy" by Bobby McFerrin. So you know, yeah, that's great. I think that's I, great. Yes, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold him to that. This this better be one heck of a frothy year, as far as I'm concerned. Ken, it was good to hear from you. Drive safe. Have a good night, Ken Slavin. Everybody, our musical partner on Rapping with Jack. All right, what was the number one song on your 23rd birthday? Lee is on KTSA. Hi, Lee. Hi, Jack. It did work out too good for me. Uh, October 8th, uh, 75, I looked it up, and it was half-breed by Cher. Now, I do have more Indian blood than Elizabeth Warren, but I'm not a half-breed that I know of. Uh, that is kind of politically incorrect, but, but I mean, Cher is a belter. I mean, you know. At least you've got somebody that can sing. <laughs> so I don't think you did too badly there. You know, it could have been, could have been worse, right? But I don't know yeah. how that I don't know how that could possibly predict the kind of year you're going to have, right? But yeah, but October that year was had some really good songs, uh, you know, like you know. You know, Midnight Train to Georgia. It had a bunch of oh yeah. Better, well, maybe you should just maybe just lie about your birthday then. Just change it to a different day, you know? Yeah. I'm not going to ask to see a birth certificate. I won't know. There's a bunch of good songs I can't remember because you know. When I was, you know, 75 was a long time ago when I was 23, mm. so I, I looked up the list, but I can't remember them. Yeah, there you go. 
Well, Liam, I'm glad you called, sir. Have a good night. Thank you. Half-Breed by Cher. What's Love Got to Do With It by Tina Turner. All I need is the date of your 23rd birthday. We can just grab it really quick here and see uh, if it sets... If it sets the tone, if it sets the expectations uh, for the year. This is some crazy meme that's going around on the Internet. I usually don't bother with these, but you know how I am with music and, like, music charts. I will I will read anything about, like, the pop charts. I will listen to a podcast. I will go down any rabbit hole. I, I'm one of those people, if I watch a YouTube video of a song, I'll watch, like, 15 more of them, you know. Oh, here's Olivia Newton-John. Oh, here's the Bee Gees. Oh, here's... And I'll just just go right on down the... So, this one kind of intrigued me. And um, all we need is your the date of your 23rd birthday, because this is the year 2023. 210-599-5555. Now, um, I guess we could also, to test this, I guess we could have uh, maybe gone back and said, well, what was last year indicative of whatever song was number one on your 22nd birthday i guess if we were going to be very scientific we would we would probably do that but um i didn't i didn't want a chance that i liked i liked what i came up with so i didn't look any deeper um than that let me grab another one here eddie is on 550 and 1071 ktsa hey eddie how you doing i'm doing all right and you Doing good, doing good. So you turned 23, it says here, on um, December 9th of 87. That is correct. Okay, your song for this year is Faith by George Michael. Faith by George Michael. I'm not sure I'm even familiar with the song. Well, I'll tell you what, it's a good It's a good song, and, I mean, we could all use faith, right? Yeah, if it did yeah, I could use a whole lot of it right now. Well, there then I think I think this is a good sign and if you check it out, let me know how you like it. But yeah, Faith, uh, that was the name of George Michael's number 1 hit and album uh back in 1987, the guy from Wham, Faith by George Michael. That's his number 1 song. That's his 2023 song, George Michael's Faith. That was a, I was just talking to somebody was it yesterday or over the weekend? I was just talking to somebody about that album, how incredible uh, that album was. Because I was ne- I was not a huge Wham fan, got to admit it. Didn't do much for me. I, they had they had huge success, obviously as a duo. But then when George Michael came out with that solo album, that had Faith and Father Figure and Kissing a Fool and a couple of other really great songs. And um, this is a phenomenal album, and I, I became a big fan of his. From that point uh, forward, and of course, we lost him way too young. But two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. So you're giving us, and you know, you don't have to if you're not into like revealing your age or whatever. I understand. But if you give me your the date on which you turned twenty three, so not your birth date, but the date on which you turned twenty three, we can look up the number one song on your twenty third birthday, and according to this internet meme. That dictates the kind of year you're going to have. So let's look up Audrey's right now. Audrey, are you there? Yes, I'm here, Jack. All right, so uh, November 22nd, 1992? Yes. Okay. Uh, Whitney Houston, I Will Always Love You. Oh, wow, are you kidding me? And that's a great song, right? It is. 
Oh my, I was always a Whitney Houston fan. Oh my goodness, going back to the eighties for sure. Yeah. Well there you go. Um okay. probably the biggest I think probably the biggest hit she ever had actually was this one. I think it was number one for some incredible yeah. number of weeks and I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston. Did you did you see that movie, The Bodyguard? Did you ever go see that? I did not see that movie. I'm not a big movie person, but I yeah. saw so many clips of it. But yeah, I know all about yeah. it. Yeah, right. I didn't see it either, but I love Whitney Houston. And I think you made out really well with that one, Audrey. So congratulations. Hope it's a, hope it's a year full of love for Audrey and Faith and whatever else these songs tell us. Mmm, yeah. Her cover of the, I think that was originally Dolly Parton, wasn't it? Somebody was saying uh, this was all over Facebook and Twitter today. Uh, it's obviously it's a made up thing, but it's it's kind of fun to do. They say you can tell what kind of year you're going to have in 2023 by the song that was the number one song on the charts on your 23rd birthday. So not your date of birth, but the day you turned 23. What was the number one song? Well, I have them. And I can give you yours. And we'll see if you think it sets the tone for the year. Paul is on 550 and 107.1 KTSA. Hi, Paul. Hey, Jack. How are you? I'm hoping this is a good song because I'm going to plan the rest of my year based on this song, okay? <laughs> okay. So so a lot is riding on this. So you were 23. Um, uh-huh. It looks like March 11th of 83. There you go. Okay. That's Here it. you go. You got a great one. Michael Jackson and Billie Jean. That's it. Now, I wouldn't take it literally because obviously this is about a guy that's in some trouble, but but I mean, it's such a cool song. It just gives the year a nice vibe, right? Absolutely. I love it. I'll take it. Yeah, very hip, very cool. All right, so Paul's going to have a great year with his uh, song being Billie Jean by Michael Jackson. I do like my Bobby McFerrin song, but now I'm kind of wishing I had a Michael Jackson song. I must admit, I'm having a bit of, I'm having just a bit of envy here. So that's, that is pretty cool. All right, 210-599-5555. Ray is on the Jack Riccardi Show. Hi, Ray. Good evening, sir. All right. So, Ray, it says here, if I've got this right, that you turned 23 July 15th of 1987. That is correct. That is correct. Would you like your song? Give me the good news. Your song for the year is by the band Heart. Unfortunately, the song is Alone. I don't know. How do you, are you, are you, um, do you like being alone, Ray? Absolutely. I can't wait to leave. Okay. I leave the town. Now I was alone in '87. Uh, I'm, I'm alone right now. Oh, Ray! Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know about you. I mean, I'm I'm kind of an introvert. Like I like my alone time. So if it was me, I'd be okay with it. But I don't know. You may you may not be like that. I I mean, it doesn't have to be the way no. your year goes, right? No, I I'm absolutely fine with that. Me alone with my okay. scotch. Life is good. Hmm. That sounds like a cry for help, Ray. Uh, it might be. Okay. <laughs> okay. Pro- promise me this, all right? You'll balance yep. out the time with your scotch. You'll, you know, 
You'll be around some people sometime at least, right? Oh, actually, I'm, I'm fixing to throw a, a pork butt on the smoker. Oh, you won't All be alone for long then. Yeah, you're gonna have uh, you're gonna a, have a lot of friends then. That sounds good. All right, well, enjoy, Ray. Thank you, sir, for the call. Alone by heart. Yeah, I don't. Gosh, Don, that is that's that one was hard to spin. I didn't know what to. I didn't know what to do with that one. That's like finding out that the you know, that's like finding out that your song is the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, and you're about to go on a cruise. Well, I think I think it's also the time period that Harp would like to forget as well. Well, they had a lot of hits you know, back then. They, they, had, they, they had, had a lot of hits, good songs then. But I yeah. think they felt like they sold out during that well, time. But, uh, um, I guess you could take it a lot of different ways. Uh, let's see here. Gabe is next on the radio on KTSA. Hey, Gabe, thanks for hanging on. Good evening. Hey, Jack. How you doing tonight, man? I'm doing all right now. Are you, are you wanting to rethink this now that you heard what the last guy got, or are you still okay man, with that? Well, uh, well, at least I can't get Ray's song. Well, prob- probably not, unless you have the exact same uh, year. But anyway, so it looks like your 23rd uh, birthday, if I'm reading this right, you turned 23 on August 15th of 01. That is correct, yes, sir. Okay, all right. So that would make the song that predicts the year 2023 for you, Alicia Keys, Fallen. Oh, man. This is a great song. This is a song about falling in love, Gabe. I'll take it. Okay. <laughs> Spoken like a man. I don't care who, I'll, I'll take, take it. it. Gabe's like, I don't know, I'm not going to ask any more questions. Oh, congratulations. Thank you very much. So, very yeah, nice. this is going to be the big year. All right. Well, maybe maybe you'll have the DJ play this song at your wedding. Absolutely. Fallen by Alicia Keys. Gabe, good job. Thank you, sir. Thanks for the call. All right, there it is for Gabe. I feel better about that one. I still feel terrible about Alone for Ray. Mm. All right. 210-599-5555. It is said... It is said, notice how I'm phrasing that, that the song that was number one on the charts the day you turned 23 predicts or suggests the year, the kind of year you're going to have in 2023. So let's put that to the test right now with Mark on KTSA. Mark, how you doing? I'm a little bit nervous. I don't want to get a Ray type song. Mm. Yeah, that was rough. I don't know what to do with that and then the thing about scotch i just yeah um i you know what i should have done i sh- i should have just like fudged it and like shifted it by a week or something i could have done that i don't know why i didn't do that so all right um you were uh you were tur- you turned 23 uh you were in the the blush of youth january 15th of 1978 yes sir correct okay which, you know, when I saw that date, I thought disco, because a lot of disco songs. But you actually didn't get a disco song. You actually got a pretty cool uh, kind of soft rock uh, song that is still all over the radio by a band called Player. The band is called Player. And you still hear this song every day all over the place. It's called Baby Come Back by Player. Yeah. That is your number yeah. That is your number one song. You remember that? Yeah, it's a great song. Fantastic song. Player and Baby Come Back, 
tells Mark now, is there someone you're waiting to have come back to you or? Well, no, but um, no? You know, maybe maybe there's one out there I forgot about, you know. Either that or maybe you had a baby in 1978. <laughs> no. No, probably not. Let's not. That's That seems overly dramatic. All right. Baby Come Back by Player is Mark's song for his 23rd birthday, and that determines the year he's going to have him. None of us really know what that means for a year. Like, how does that describe a year? Baby Come Back by Player. Whenever I hear that song, I always think of how many, many people over the years would call and request that song, but they were sure it was Daryl Hall. And it and, and the, the singer does sound a little bit like Daryl Hall of Hall & Oates, but it was Player. Coming up, we'll have the results on the uh, JR poll question. And um, we've been talking about a uh, kind of a time waster. <laughs> but it's, a, it's, a, um, it's kind of a, a meme or a, a post that's been shared a lot today uh, to the effect that if you know the name of the song that was number one, on the exact day you turned 23, that gives you a clue about the year 2023 for you, the kind of year you'll have. Let's so like mine was Don't Worry, Be Happy, which, if that's true, I would be very happy about. Uh, Mark writes to Jack at KTSA.com. Now, he already looked his up. We're looking people's up. Um, he looked his up. He says, the number one song on my 23rd birthday was All the Man That I Need by Whitney Houston. I told my wife... And she said, I'd better not leave her for a man. So, yes, you may, you may or may not want to share this with the people you know. It just depends. But uh, let's see what we can find out for, uh, for JR on KTSA. Hi, JR. Hey, how's it going, Jack? It's going. How you doing? Good. How's your year been so far? It, it's been all right. Can't complain. Yeah, okay. I think you're going to be okay here. I don't know what this means, but it's not bad. Uh, the number one song on the day you turned 23, which was January uh, 10th of, of uh, 95, the number one song was On Bended Knee by Boys to Men. On Bended Knee uh, actually, by Boys to Men. November 2nd. Oh, did we get the wrong? Oh, okay. I, I might have got the wrong month. Hold on. Hold on. We'll look that up. So it's November. Okay, I see what I did. I transposed the numbers. So no, we don't want to give you the wrong song. Hold on here. So November 2nd, right, of 95. Yeah. Okay. Correct. All right. We'll see how fast Don Cooper can pull this up. So November 2nd of 1995, number one. Okay. All right. I think this is better. Uh, Mariah Carey. Fantasy, Mariah Carey, and fantasy. <laughs> so I guess you can take That's that funny. any way you want. Yeah, he's like, you're already having a fantasy. You went, you went silent on me. 
right, JR, thanks for the call. Sorry we got that wrong the first time. Fantasy by Mariah Carey, number one on his 23rd birthday. You guys are young. Uh, Butch is on KTSA. Hi, Butch. Hi, Jack. All right, Butch. It says here you were uh, turning 23 February 7th of 83. Yes, sir. All right. Your song for this year is by the band Men at Work, Down Under. What could that mean? I have no idea. Maybe, maybe you're going to Australia this year. Yeah, maybe so. Otherwise, I wouldn't know what to make of that. But, I mean, it could be worse. At least you didn't get a loan by heart. So. Yeah, no joke. That's good. Well, I hope it's a great year, Butch, and I appreciate your calling. And that's a great song. I mean, certainly a good one. I loved that when that came out. Down Under, Men at Work. We all learned what Vegemite was in that song. I said, do you speak my language? Here it is. He just smiled and gave me a Vegemite sandwich. I'll just find out what Vegemite was. All right, so um, they say that uh, the number one song on your 23rd birthday gives a clue, gives an indication of the kind of year you'll have in 2023. Stephanie is joining us now. Hi, Stephanie. Hello. <laughs> now, Stephanie, uh, my producer, Don, was saying you actually already know which song this is. Yes. <laughs> and I have uh, before no I play it, before I play it, how are you, uh, how are you feeling about that? Uh, worried. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's not binding. You know, you it doesn't have right, to. Right. It doesn't it's have to mean it. This is the song Stephanie is worried about. This is the song that was number one on her twenty third birthday. Listen to this. All right, now, I'm going to say this. It, it's a cool song, right? I mean, it's not like you got some lame you know, one-hit wonder type. I mean, you got, you got Eric Clapton, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you're, I, I think we'll just leave, Why don't we just leave it at that, right? Like, you got an Eric Clapton song. You're going to have a cool, hip, happening kind of year in 2023. Okay. <laughs> can, we, can we do that? Let's do that. <laughs> yes. Okay. All right, Stephanie. Well, I hope you have a great year, and I'm glad you called us. Thank you. Um, yeah, that is a little that is a little awkward lyrics wise. Let's see where we want to go there. All right, I'm gonna do one more. I'm gonna do one more. Um, and we're gonna talk to David on KTSA. Hi, David. Well, good afternoon or good evening, Jack. Good evening, David. How are you doing? I am absolutely wonderful. Another great good. day in the neighborhood. Good, good. Now I know the year is only nine days in, but has it been a has it been a good year so far? Well, if I, as long as I don't look at the stock market, it's been wonderful. <sighs> Got that right, and a few other things. Um, all right, um, if uh, I did this right, you were turning twenty three on May ninth of sixty seven. That's correct. Okay, that was your twenty third birthday, May ninth. Of 67, which puts a smack dab in the Motown era. And your song for 2023 is The Supremes and The Happening.
So kind of a psychedelic uh, song that, kind of hard to know what that's about, but uh, but it's kind of hip, it's kind of cool. Right, I, I, I think you did well. I'm a, hap- I'm a happening type person anyway, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> there it is. That's it. The happening is David. Okay, that's what we needed to know. David, have a great year. Thank you for calling our show. Yeah, I mean, get a Motown song. Come on. Can't complain. The Supremes and The Happening. It happened to me, and it can happen to you. And then it happened. Um, and you can go to um, the one I use. There's a lot of them, but the one I used was mybirthdayfacts.com. Mybirthdayfacts.com. And uh, they have more than just the number one song in the charts and the year you were born. Or you can look at all your birthday songs. This is if you have nothing to do. I mean, please don't, you know, don't do this while you're driving. But, like, if you're just bored or killing time or waiting for somebody to, you know, pick up for a ride or whatever. You just look at all your birthday songs. And uh, I've actually, I had a lot of really good ones. I, not just on my 23rd birthday, but there were a lot of really good songs on that date all through the years. So kind of interesting to look at. Maybe, maybe bring back a memory or two and hopefully a good one. Most people tonight, I think, got pretty good uh, news. We, we're all pulling for Ray. <laughs> that was unfortunate, but... Uh, but again, this is not binding. This is not scientific. Your your mileage may vary. On the JR poll, are you glad President Biden visited the border? Sort of. 78% said no. 22% said yes. We'll have a new poll question tomorrow when we get started at 4. You can find it anytime at KTSA.com. Talked about this earlier on the show. It's just incredible to me, and you talk about good signs or good omens or feel-good news. A, a week ago, a week ago tonight, the uh, Monday night football game was Buffalo Bills at Cincinnati Bengals. I don't watch the NFL very much. I don't watch Monday night football hardly ever. But I really like Joe Burrow, and I'm interested in the Bengals. I think the Bengals are, are a great story this year. So I decided, well, let me, let me check this out. and Maybe Burrow will have one of those big 450-yard nights or something. I don't know. Start watching the game. Game was decent. We're like halfway through the first quarter. Very routine play between T. Higgins of Cincinnati and safety DeMar Hamlin of the Buffalo Bills. And Hamlin does not... Um, Seem hurt. He gets up from the play. They both do. They both get off the ground after a tackle. And then Hamlin wobbles and, and goes down. And we find out in the ensuing hours he, he stops breathing. He is resuscitated by CPR. We talked about this earlier on the show. It's incredible to me that today, less, a few hours short of a week, he is released from the University of Cincinnati Medical Center. And there's a lot behind that. There's the prayers, literally, of a nation. And it says so much about who we really are versus how we are described that so many people prayed. 
it says a lot about Damar Hamlin. He's a fighter. It says a lot about the trainer, a young man named Denny Kellington, who performed CPR. We talked about this last week. It's one thing to know CPR. A lot of people know CPR. But this is a young man that kept his head, saw his duty, did his duty, literally saved DeMar Hamlin's life. If DeMar Hamlin is anywhere else, most other places, and this happens, he's gone. So it's an incredible story. And we know he still has a recovery to make, but it's it's a happy uh, outcome. I would like to think that maybe the DeMar Hamlin story is the harbinger of the year. You know? Maybe that will turn out to be, I hope and pray that that will turn out to be something that we look back on and go, that gave us an indication of of our direction. So let's let's hope that's the case and and let's keep praying because it works and it can work for you and it can work for me and it doesn't have to be in circumstances as dire as those were. So interesting to me that no one told us to do it. Everybody just knew. Anyway, you can read more about it. I, I wrote a column today at KTSA.com if you want to read uh, more about that. Tell me what you think. We were having a little fun with what kind of year are you going to have based on what is the number one song. Obviously, this is indicative of nothing. (laughs) But um, it's kind of fun to see what was the number one song on your 23rd birthday. I'm going to do one more because Lillian wrote to me and she said, I really tried to get through and the phone lines were jammed and I really want to know. I turned 23 on June 26, 1993. Here is your song, Lillian. And I do think this is a... This would be a pretty good one to indicate what kind of year you're going to have. So it's Janet Jackson, great singer. And the number one song on Lillian's 23rd birthday, That's the Way Love Goes. That's hopefully the way your year goes. Or not. Whatever you want. I'm for whatever you want. See you back here at 4 tomorrow.